My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is Day 90, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Judges 17-21 to and Psalm 148. So as we've seen before, the Bible has some adult themes in it, and today there is some pretty explicit sexual and otherwise violent things going on. So please be advised. Judges 17. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that we take from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1100 shekels of the silver to his mother, he said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make an idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some household gods and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him. And the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since the Levite has become my priest. In those days, Israel had no king. And in those days, the tribes of the Danites were seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent five of their leading men from Zorah and Eshtol to spy out the land and explore it. These men represented all the Danites. They told them, go explore the land. So they entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. So they turned in there and asked him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? He told them what Micah had done for him and said, he has hired me and I am his priest. Then they said to him, please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. The priest answered them, Go in peace. Your journey has the Lord's approval. So the five men left and came to Laish, where they saw that the people were living in safety, like the Sidians, at peace and secure, and since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidians and had no relationship with anyone else. When they returned to Zorah and Eshtael, their fellow Danites asked them, How did you find things? They answered, Come on, let's attack them. We have seen the land, and it is very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate to go through and take it over. When you get there, you will find an unsuspecting people and a spacious land that God has put into your hands, and land that lacks nothing, whatever. 
Then 600 men of the Danites, armed for battle, set out from Zohar and Eshtol. On their way, they set up camp near Kirath, Jerium, and Judah. This is why the place west of Kiriath Jerium is called Mahana Dan to this day. From there, they went on to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Then the five men who had spied out the land of Lash said to the fellow Danites, Do you know that one of these houses has an ephod, some household gods, and an image overlaid with silver? Now you know what to do. So they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites, armed for battle, stood at the entrance of the gate. The five men who had spied out the land went inside and took the idols, the ephod, and the household gods, while the priest and the 600 armed men stood at the entrance of the gate. When the five men went into Micah's house and took the idol, the ephod, and the household gods, the priest said to them, What are you doing? They answered him, Be quiet. Don't say a word. Come with us and be our father and priest. Isn't it better, better that you serve a tribe and clan in Israel as priest rather than just one man's household? The priest was very pleased. He took the ephod, the household gods, and the idols and went along with the people. Putting their little children, their livestock, and their possessions in front of them, they turned away and left. When they had gone some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and overtook the Danites. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? He replied, You took the gods I made and my priests and went away. What else do I have? How can you ask what's the matter with you? The Danites answered, Don't argue with us, or some of the men get angry and attack you, and you and your family will lose your lives. So the Danites went their way, and Micah, seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went back home. Then they took what Micah had made and his priest and went on to lash against a people at peace and secure. They attacked them with the sword and burned down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else. The city was in the valley near Beth Rohab. The Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan after their ancestor Dan, who was born to Israel, though the city used to be called Lesh. There the Danites set up for themselves the idol, and Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of captivity of the land. They continued to use the idol Micah had made, all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. In those days, Israel had no king. Now a Levite, who lived in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim, took a concubine from Bethel and Judah. But she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. He had with him his servants and two donkeys. She took him into her parents' home, and where and when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the woman's father, prevailed on him to stay, so he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. On the fourth day, they got up early and he prepared to leave. But the woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh yourself with something to eat. Then you can go. So the two of them sat down to eat and drink. Afterward, the woman's father said, Please stay tonight and enjoy yourself. And when the man got up to go, his father-in-law persuaded him, so he stayed there that night. On the morning of the fifth day, when he rose to go, the woman's father said, Refresh yourself, wait till afternoon. So the two of them ate together. Then, when the man with his concubine and his servant got up to leave, his father-in-law, the woman's father, said, Now look, it's almost evening. Spend the night here. The day is nearly over. Stay and enjoy yourself. Early tomorrow morning, you can get up and be on your way home. But unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went toward Jebus, that is Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. 
When they were near Jebus, and the day was almost gone, the servant said to his master, Come, let's stop at this city of the Jebusites and spend the night. His master replied, No, we won't go into any city whose people are not Israelites. We will go on to Gibba. He added, Come, let's try to reach Gibba or Ramah and spend the night at one of those places. So they went on, and the sun set as they neared Gibba and Benjamin. There they stopped to spend the night. They went and sat in the city square, but no one took them in for the night. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim, who was living in Gabah, the inhabitants of the people were Benjamites, came in from his work in the field. When he looked and saw the travelers in the city square, the old man asked, Where are you going? Where did you come from? He answered, We're on our way from Bethlehem and Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, where I live. I have been to Bethlehem and Judah, and now I am going to the house of the Lord. No one is taking me in for the night. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves, your servants, me, the woman, and the young man with us. We don't need anything. You are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need, only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house, pounding on the door. He shouted to the old man who owned the house, "'Bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him.' The owner of the house went outside and said to them, "'No, my friends, don't do so vile. So this man is my guest. Don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing.' But the men would not listen to him, so the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night, and at dawn they let her go. At daybreak the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until daybreak. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house, with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, "'Get up, let's go,' but there was no answer." Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut his concubine limb by limb into twelve parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it was say to one another, such a thing has never been done. Not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Just imagine, we must do something, so speak up. Then all Israel from Dan to Beersheba and from the land of Gilead came together as one and assembled before the Lord in Mizpah. The leaders of all the people of the tribes of Israel took their places in the assembly of God's people, 400,000 men armed with swords. The Benjamites heard that the Israelites had gone up to Mizpah. Then the Israelites said, tell us how these awful things happen. So the Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, said, I and my concubine came to Gibba and Benjamin to spend the night. During the night, the men of Gibba came after me and surrounded the house, intending to kill me. They raped my concubine and she died. I took my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent one piece to each region of the Israelites' inheritance, because they committed this lewd and outrageous act in Israel. Now, all you Israelites, speak up and tell me what you have decided to do. All the men rose up together as one, saying, None of us will go home. No, not one of us will return to his house. But now this is what we'll do to Gibbah. We'll go up against it in order to decide by casting lots. We'll take 10 men out of every hundred from all the tribes of Israel and a hundred from a thousand and a thousand from 10,000 to get provisions for the army. Then the army arrived at Gibeah in Benjamin. It can give them what they deserve for this outrageous act done to Israel. 
So all the Israelites got together and united as one against the city. The tribes of Israel sent messengers throughout the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What about this awful crime that was committed among you? Now turn those wicked men of Gabah over to us so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. From their towns, they came together at Gabah to fight against the Israelites. At once, the Benjamites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen from their town, in addition to 700 able young men from those living in Gabah. Among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom would sling a stone at a hare and not miss. Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 swordsmen, all of them fit for battle. The Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. They said, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Benjamites? The Lord replied, Judah shall go first. The next morning, the Israelites got up and pitched camp near Gabah. The Israelites went out to fight the Benjamites and took up battle positions against them at Gabah. The Benjamites came out of Gibeah and cut down 20,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. But the Israelites encouraged one another and again took up their position where they had stationed themselves the first day. The Israelites went up and wept before the Lord until evening, and they inquired of the Lord. They said, Shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites? The Lord answered, Go up against them. Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. This time when the Benjamites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. Then all the Israelites, the whole army, went up to Bethel, and there they sat, weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was there, with Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, ministering before it. They asked, Shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites, or not? The Lord responded, Go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Then Israel set an ambush around Gibeah. They went up against the Benjamites on the third day and took up positions against Gibeah as they had done before. The Benjamites came out to meet them and were drawn away from the city. They began to inflict casualties on the Israelites as before, so that about 30 men fell in the open field and on the roads, the one leading to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. While the Benjamites were saying, we are defeating them as before, the Israelites were saying, let's retreat and draw them away from the city to the roads. All the men of Israel moved from their places and took up position at Baal Tamar, and the Israelite ambush charged out of its place on the west of Gabah. Then 10,000 of Israel's able young men made a frontal attack on Gabah. The fighting was so heavy that the Benjamites did not realize how near disaster was. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and on that day the Israelites struck down 25,100 Benjamites, all armed with swords. The Benjamites saw that they were beaten. Now the men of Israel had given way before Benjamin because they relied on the ambush they had set near Gabah. Those who had been in ambush made a sudden dash into Gabah, spread out, and put the whole city to the sword. The Israelites had arranged with the ambush that they should send up a great cloud of smoke from the city, and then the Israelites would counterattack. The Benjamites had begun to inflict casualties on the Israelites, about 30, and they said, We are defeating them as in the first battle, but when the column of smoke began to rise from the city, the Benjamites turned and saw the whole city going up in smoke.
Then the Israelites counterattacked, and the Benjamites were terrified because they had realized that disaster had come on them. So they fled before the Israelites in the direction of the wilderness. But they could not escape the battle. And the Israelites who came out of the towns cut them down there. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily overran them in the vicinity of Gabah on the east. 18,000 Benjamites fell, all of them valiant fighters. As they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, the Israelites cut down 5,000 men along the road. They kept pressing after the Benjamites as far as Gidom and struck down 2,000 more. On that day, 25,000 Benjamite swordsmen fell, all of them valiant fighters, but 600 of them turned and fled into the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, where they stayed for months. The men of Israel went back to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword, including the animals and everything else they found. All the towns that it came across, they set on fire. The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah. Not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. The people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. Lord, God of Israel, they cried. Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? Early the next day, the people built an altar and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Israelites asked, Who from the tribes of Israel have failed to assemble before the Lord? For they had taken a solemn oath that anyone who failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah was to be put to death. Now the Israelites grieve for the tribe of Benjamin, their fellow Israelites. Today, one tribe is cut off from Israel, they said. How can we provide wives for those who are left, since we have taken an oath by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage? Then they asked, Which of the tribes of Israel failed to assemble before the Lord at Mizpah? They discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. For when they counted the people, they found that none of the people of, of Jabesh Gilead were there. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and put the sword, those living there, including the women and children. This is what you are to do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who is not a virgin. They found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man, and they took them to the camp at Shiloh in Canaan. Then the whole assembly sent an offer of peace to the Benjamites at the Rock of Rimeon. So the Benjamites returned at that time and were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared, but there were not enough for all of them. The people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. And the elders of the assembly said, With the women of Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left? The Benjamite survivors must have heirs, they said, so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. We can't give them our daughters as wives, since we Israelites have taken an oath. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to a Benjamite. But look, there is this annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh, which lies north of Bethel, east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Lebanon. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, Go and hide in the vineyards, and watch when the young women of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, rush from the vineyards, and each of you sees one of them to be your wife. Then return to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, Do us the favor of helping them, because we did not give wives for them during the war. You will not be guilty of breaking your oath because you did not give your daughters to them. So that is what the Benjamites did. While the young women were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. 
Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at His command, they were created, and He established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, storm winds that do not do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, king of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers of earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Okay, this is the end of the book of Joshua, and it's like the culmination of the total corruption of Israel, including the priesthood. I mean, it starts with people priests taking priests for hire in their own homes and making idols and stealing from each other and rarely, rarely asking God what to do or abiding by any of his laws or character. And yet, I think sometimes we get confused because there is these random moments where they ask God what to do. I think in this story, there was three occasions and he did want them to fight against the Benjamites. But aside from that, all of their decisions were largely their own ideas on what's good and what's guilty and what's bad. So there's a mix of things and we have to pay close attention because as usual, this is a tragedy. That's what the whole book of Joshua is. But yet there is this messianic hope. hope we hear three times this mention of the fact that Israel has no king. And as we know, we're headed for First and Second Samuel, which is the beginning of the story of the kings. So the Israelites hit rock bottom here. This is the pinnacle of tragedy. This is the end of the book of Judges. The story is pointing to the need of a different way. And we know this story is being followed by King David and beyond. It points to the need and hope of a messianic king beyond that, which is Jesus. The story of Judges is disturbing and should be. It points to the total corruption of Israel. The people of God chose to be a part of his rescue mission and to put God on display, helping others navigate to atonement, interceding for the lost and rebellious in prayer, and being prodigally generous. God's people who he blessed to be a blessing to others, to be his representative leaders. Yet in the last story here, even the Levitical priesthood shows to be totally corrupt. It's all, if all the stories we've been reading the Bible so far display how God is showing his people who in Genesis 3 choose their own way. It starts there, right? And I feel like all the stories in a way show how God is putting on display all the different ways we as humans can lead as a couple, individual, family, tribe, nation, and next we'll be learning about kings. Yet none of them, none of these models will work in a sustainable way, even with God's edits, even with God coming close and and creating, you know, these sacrificial processes because our hearts themselves are broken and they need something. And this something that we're starting to see, and we know because we've read ahead, some of us, right? It's this need for Jesus. 
In this story, this Levite, this priest who takes a prostitute, even though a few times she is referred to as a wife, is really a concubine. And as Father Mike Schmidt states, all the stories in the Bible that include concubines never end well. And this is to be expected because this is not God's order from the very beginning, referenced in Genesis 2. Disorder, chaos leads to hurt, oppression, devastation. In this case, I would go so far as to say absolute abject horror. Honestly, the evil and violence, the lack of God-given humanity is it's like almost debilitating. Marty Solomon reads this story as having echoes of Sodom and Gomorrah. There is so much tragedy. The Benjamites commit unthinkable sexual crimes against this concubine. They, killed, they kill her all because the Levitical priest chose to sacrifice her and save himself. Then, to my absolute horror, he cuts her into 12 pieces, sending her to the 12 tribes of Israel, inciting, I don't know if it seems like revenge, but yet there's sort of an assembly. They do at times go to ask God against the Benjamites, and they ultimately, there's a lot of civil killing and 25,000 fighting Benjamites die, and more or less everyone except for 600 Benjamite men run into the wilderness. And we learned yesterday about what happens in cycles of violence and what creates you know, more violence from the story of Samson. More and more and more violence. It's just overwhelming. And the Benjamites decide then to kill again. It seems like the assembly agrees to this in Jabesh Gilead, and they justify it because the assembly said they did not send representative leadership essentially, and they kill all the men and married women, sparing only 400 unmarried females, but this wasn't enough, of course, because there's 600 Benjamites that are somehow surviving, and the assembly didn't want a gap in the tribe's progeny, and also many have been nervous of more civil war and said they want peace or something, and they could not go back on their oath not to, in all capitals, give their daughters to the Benjamites. So instead, they encouraged them to take, in all capitals, their daughters from this is just wild, from an annual festival of the Lord at Shiloh. Um, for me, it's just layers and layers of horror. And the statement is made twice in this story in chapter 17 and 21, that everyone just did as they saw fit. That's largely what we're seeing. That is what total corruption is of Israel. When they do what they want to do and they decide for themselves, it's like tree of knowledge, Genesis 3, but in a very, oh, abjectly horrible way, they decide what's good and bad and worthy of guilt with no real connection to God's character, his order, or the laws of God. At this point, the Israelites, including the priesthood and judges, have fallen so far away from God's intentions that even the tribe called to be priests and protectors of priests have largely fallen. So the next story will be about kings. Let's see what happens there. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.